Welcome to the Get It Done Podcast. I'm your host, Jimmy Ryan. Today, we're interviewing Todd Duncan. Let's get it done. All right, the Get It Done podcast is sponsored by Team Get It Done. And today, man, you are in for a special treat. This is episode 100, first and foremost. Wow, what a road it has been to 100 episodes. And today we are no holds barred. We, we are going all at it today. Um, we, we have, I would consider him and others would too, the GOAT of mortgage coaching in the mortgage industry. If you're in the mortgage industry at all, you know who this is. But in case... You are not in the mortgage industry. Uh, this is Todd Duncan. He is a four-time New York Times bestselling author. He's written 18 books. Like I looked, I, I tried to count them. I, I can't. I'd ask you, how many books did you write? 18. He has 30 years of uh, sale, of sales mastery, the event that launched things like, oh, have you ever heard of Mortgage Coach and Dave Savage? Uh, Dave, by the way, says hi. He's um, a previous guest, and he's he, every time he brings up Mortgage Coach, he's like, it was because of Todd Duncan. Uh, he's the CEO and founder of High Trust Sales Academy, and we have a couple things that we want to talk about, uh, but if you've ever heard of a High Trust meeting, come straight from Todd Duncan. And with that, Todd, welcome to the Get It Done podcast. Jimmy Ryan, I can, you know, part of me wants to get it done and part of me wants to milk this thing out for as long as we can go and create as much value for your listeners as possible. But either way, we will get it done in style. Bro, so that we, we are definitely going to do that. And a lot of times, and I told you this in Vegas, that like, look, I want to go straight to the real and I want to go some layers deep. And there's a, and actually that's just what we're going to do. So I'm, I'm kind of going to break format a little bit um, for my show. Generally, we like to go over life story and come up story, but we're kind of going to jump around. And I want to start right away with where people are currently in our industry. There's a lot of hurting out there. And there's a lot of people that, you know, got used to the 2020 lifestyle. They got used to 2021 paychecks, but that's not the same in 2022 and 2023. I would argue it's even worse. And truth be told, you know, it's going to be here for a minute. It might be 2024 before anything starts to turn around. So put differently, we're in a winter season. It's very dark. I can't, I can imagine that there are marriages that are very stressed. There are a lot of relationships that are very stressed. And Todd, I'm just going to come up straight with it. Like to the person that's really struggling right now, and there are a lot of them, man, what should we do? Uh, you know, they, there's a really simple answer. Um, and then behind that is a lot of building blocks. But I think the thing that I'd like to start with is that I have walked in your shoes uh, and I say that to every listener that might be struggling, and like Jimmy has described it, um, I have been in this business long enough to know what these cycles can do to people, how they can break down people, they can break up people, they can shatter marriages, they can, they can shatter self-esteem and self-image and even a lot of self-confidence. And there's a, lot to, there's a lot to deal with when you have all that kind of flying at you. And so my simple, I have two simple kind of thought processes. One is that um, tough times never last, but tough people do. And I know that may sound a tad cliche, but it really is true that, that we, are, we are put into um, our life and we are put on this earth. And if there were no such thing as adversity, 
there would be no such thing as greatness. We're measured not by how well we do in easy markets. We're actually measured by how we get through hard markets. And this is a hard market. And hard markets require us to have a mindset of this too will pass. It will. But it also requires us to have a mindset of Jimmy, get it done and do the right things. And I look at people today that are locked in fear. Um, part of that is they've never really had to have a game plan for building their business. They got into the business three, four or five years ago. And frankly, anybody that's been in the business for the last 10 years has been um, in an easier market. It doesn't mean there wasn't some swags and swings and this and that, but it's been a, a fairly easy market to make a fairly good income in. If we look at 21 and 22, we know that to be blatantly true. And that's why a lot of people have muscle fatigue right now. They have muscle fatigue. They don't really know uh, or, or, or can't recall what they did to really build the business intentionally. And, um, and so we have to, like any time you get out of shape, you got to get back in shape. You got to practice. You got to drill. You got to rehearse. And uh, I just sent an email to a guy about 10 minutes before we jumped on. And I said, mindset matters. And I, I wrote down these words, get centered get confident, get going. And the only solution to a bad market is new and consistent action. That's it. And if you can out action other people with skill, you'll win what business is out there or you'll win a bigger portion. But I think the bigger message is if life were easy, everybody would be uber happy. <laughs> And your happiness shouldn't be derived by how much money you're making. Your happiness should be derived by, you know, how purposeful and intentional you are, no matter what a season throws your way. And I've had a lot of hard seasons. I was telling Jimmy, uh, you know, before we got on, and, and I speak to you as the listener, that um, I've had just, just this unbelievable honor to shepherd an industry uh, since 1992 into what does professional selling look like for mortgage professionals. And, and I've done, I've covered a lot of cycles. I've covered a lot of markets, but more important in the last 30 years was the first 11 years because I became a loan officer when interest rates were 18, 19%. Um, consumer confidence was super low. Unemployment was super high. The sky was falling. We're in a full-blown recession. Nobody thought anybody would buy or sell real estate. And I chose at that moment in time, a mindset that none of my competitors had. And my mindset came actually from my grandmother because she shared a book with me when I was brand new in business. And she said, you're gonna have tough times, okay? But tough times make great people. And you should always remember, and this is what she said, you should always remember there's very little difference between people that succeed and people that fail. But the little difference makes the big difference, she would say. She said the little difference is attitude and the big difference is whether it's positive or not. So I can almost predict 100, with 100% accuracy that if you're negative in your mind, your business is gonna be upside down in its progress and it's, um, and it's profoundness. But if you're positive, you can look for solutions. You can do things that everybody that's negative doesn't do. So how do you get positive? You get centered, okay? You get ready and you go and you take action regardless of whether it wins or loses, fails or succeeds. Taking no action is 100% failure. 
taking action where it works or doesn't work is an investment balanced by risk. And we know 100% of the non-action you're taking is leading to 100% results you're not getting. So if you want different results, you have to take different actions. And that's what this market's about. How do we get more creative? How do we get more connected? How do we get more confident? And how do we stay more consistent? You can do that and get through anything. It, brother, it, I mean, you mentioned this. It sounds cliche. And brother, it does. So like, look, tough times you know, never last. Tough people do. Look, Todd, I'm tough. I'm tough, man. Like I've been through a lot of markets. And me personally, like here, I, I started in October of 2007. I would say it's similar time to that where like the sky is literally falling. And dude, this is your story. You know, this is the time when, when you're actually writing the story that you're going to give on a stage someday, you know? And I, and I kind of, I, I kind of chuckle about it because I genuinely, generally laugh at people when they tell me how, how hard they're, you know, how much they're struggling. And it's not the right reaction, by the way, but it's just like, bro, you are writing the most epic story ever in your life. It's right now. And you get to write it. You get to decide what it, it's going to be next. So I guess like the person that looks at it like, oh man, like screw you, Todd. That's just cliche bullshit, you know? <laughs> <laughs> but what, but Todd, like what's the real? Like, look, like I am tough. I am consistent. I've read the books. I know what a high trust sales ticket is. Like, dude, like, I'm I'm doing action. I'm making my I'm making my calls. Like, bro, like, I, it's just not cutting it. I feel like I should give up. Like that person that's like in that spot. Todd Duncan. Oh, so so I would just say give up and see how that works out for you. You know, if you want me to be straight up honest, give up and see how that works out for you, or do more than any of your competitors are doing, and watch what happens to them. And I think this is. This is perspective. So this may sound corny. I was going over to my other desk to see if I, if I had it within arm's reach. But I had a button made up when I was a loan officer in 1981. The, loan the button was about three inches around. It was green because I believe in green equals money. And the button said, rumor has it we're in a recession. I'm not participating. And I went and called on realtors. And I called on realtors who are about ready to give up. I called on realtors who didn't think any seller was going to sign a listing contract. I called on buy side agents. Every one of them thought there wasn't a buyer in the right mind that would buy real estate at 18 or 19% financing. And I just said, okay, you can believe that there aren't enough, or you can believe that there are enough. And all you have to do is get a little bit better to find out where those people are. So I brought hope to a marketplace that was dead. Prime was 21%. Nobody could, con I never funded a mortgage loan, Jimmy, with an interest rate less than 10% in my life. And I did almost 6,000 loans. Wow. So it's all perspective. It's all perspective. That's all it is. And your job as a loan officer today is to bring hope and positive perspective to people that are feeling the way we know people are feeling. I mean, with interest rates knocking on the door of 7% and they're certainly above six and a half and watching the craziness of the market, there's a lot of reason to sit on the sidelines. But there's also a lot of reasons to get into the game and understand that real estate is real estate and buying is buying. And maybe you can't buy the, the four bedroom home right now because rates went up. Maybe you have to buy a two bedroom condo. There's all kinds of solutions to buy real estate in a difficult market. 
we're going to probably, according to most, be back in a refinance zone of about four, four and a half percent in 24 months. Right. So I got an email the other day from somebody who said, I'm preparing for the refis of 2025. That's, that's perspective. And the guy funded $8 million in June. That's perspective, right? So there's enough business for everybody that wants to get strong, build the muscles, and do what's hard to do. If, if you don't do that, then you're going you're gonna to become a victim and you're going to become a stat in this marketplace. And it's crazy when you just think about mindset. So this is Saturday. So I, I saw you Friday, right? I saw you yeah. Friday last week. And Saturday night, my, my wife and I went to T-Mobile Arena and saw Nickelback in concert. Here's two sentences I wrote down from the concert. Against the grain should be a way of life. What's worth the price is always worth the fight. Mm. So it's easy to not go against the grain. Right now, we're swimming upstream. It's easy to go out to sea, get turned around, let the waves and the currents of negativity take you out. But is that who you want to be when this thing turns? Bro, I'm a huge Nickelback fan too. But <laughs> but, but just, okay, so like I, I want to... Look, it comes down to mindset. I want to talk more about you and how you do that. There's a lot of people out there that aren't going to become a four-time New York Times bestselling author. I mean, I'm just saying. There's a lot of people, most people listening to this probably will never accomplish that feat. But because that is such a great, epic, unique thing, it's also incredibly challenging to do. I mean, it's something that some people would set out to do that and would they would <laughs> fail miserably along the way. And I have to imagine that, well, here, out of 18 books, not all of them were New York Times bestselling selling. And there's a lot of failures that happen along the way. So how do you yourself, you mentioned your first thing is, look, get centered, then confident to get going. Well, that first part, I think it, I think that's the part where people really do struggle. How do you personally, Todd, get centered when it feels like the whole world is just falling apart? So the first thing that, that I would say is stuff happens to all of us. And, and not one person on this planet is insulated from setbacks. Not one of us. And about the only time you can count on not getting a setback is when you don't take a risk. And that's a balancing act of playing it safe versus continuing to build or grow. I learned very early on, and this doesn't mitigate any of the pain for anybody, including myself, that has suffered great failures. And I have. I mean, I have been in business for 40 years, and 10 of those years I spent buying a company, losing 90% of my net worth because I bought it the wrong way and managed it the wrong way, okay, um, getting fired from my own company that I sold to somebody in the industry to try to keep that company alive. And during that time, my wife was diagnosed with terminal breast cancer, and she died. That was, that was 10, 10 years of my life and I've been out of college for 40 years. So if you think about that for just a second and you look at, okay, I'm 45 years old. I've, I got everything I need to retire. I'm in great shape. You know, I got a family, I got a couple of kids, but I'm not done yet. I'm, I'm content, but I'm not done. I had all the money that you needed to just stop, right? So I buy a company that I probably shouldn't have bought. I bought it in a way I probably shouldn't have bought and I didn't manage it in a way I probably should have managed it. And I got taken down and I lost, I don't know, 
90% of my net worth in 30 months. And then I spent the next seven years trying to rebuild. And imagine owning a success training company that tells people how to succeed financially and in life. And you get thrown the biggest curveball, spitball, and drop ball that you've ever been given in your life. And it takes you a decade to recover. And in the midst of that, you lose your spouse of 25 years. So a couple of days after my wife died, I'm in the hallway in our home in La Jolla, California, and I'm, I'm leaning up against the wall as a picture of her uh, on the wall. My wife was gorgeous. I mean, just a beautiful soul. And um, my youngest son was 13. And he came up to me and saw me crying. And he put his, put his hand on my shoulder and he said, Dad, you got to keep going, Dad. We need you. We need you, Dad. And they're, they lost their mom, and I lost my wife. And I'm sitting here. And I don't know how to. This wasn't part of my life plan, Jimmy. Like, like lose wife is not part of anybody's plan, right? And it took my son to put his hand on my shoulder and to look me in the eye and, and say, "Dad, you got to keep going. You got to do what you teach. You got to keep going." And I realized in that moment that my my failure was not my future. And my failure could be used as good. My failure could, could actually redefine my best years. And I've had a lot of little failures. But Jimmy, this was colossal. It was about as big as you could ever get without knocking on the door of death, death, death. And um, I felt dead spiritually. I felt dead financially. You know, I'd been my wife's caregiver for the last year. I was freaking exhausted. And here's my, my little boy with his hand on my shoulder saying, Dad, I need you. I need you. And that, um, that to me was what it took to get through the balancing act. And what was I going to do with that? What was I going to do to the company that fired me illegally that, that everybody on this podcast knows who this company is? I'm not going to mention it. But why would you fly in 10 days before the end of the year and fire me because I didn't speak 60 days. I only spoke 54. Uh, excuse me. My wife is dying. Why would you do that? You know, why would you enforce a non-compete on a guy that you call friend whose wife just died and had no way to make money? Why would you do that? And there was a whole bunch of reasons why I could just point to like, why, why is this happening? How do you get fired from your own company? And I just said, you know what? Right is right, and right wins, and evil is evil, and evil loses. So I filed a non-wrongful a termination lawsuit, and two weeks before the trial, they settled. I got everything back, but it didn't take the pain out of the journey. It didn't take the pain out of losing 90% of my net worth, and this, this, is, this is the story that we all have enough juice in us to stand up and fight back. If you, if you really understand your purpose, and if you really understand why you're on this earth, the greater your dreams, man, the greater your adversity. If dreaming big dreams was easy, everybody would have gargantuan dreams. And most don't have them because they're afraid. They're afraid of failure. And failure is like dark. And success is like light. You know, it gets dark at night only because it gets light during the day. You can't have light during the day without darkness at night. You can't have success without failure. Can't have cold without hot. Can't have loud without soft. You can't have any of these things. It's not failure is not negative. 
failure is part of the equation. So, so I, started, I started seeing things that way, Jimmy, and it took me out. And I am, I am, uh, I'm, I'm 12 years past that moment. I'm happier now than I've ever been. I, I'm wealthier now in ways that are all inclusive, not just money. Um, I have more joy than I've ever had in my life. And our best days are ahead of us. One change changes everything. And if you give up, you can't go up, period. So, I, and actually, that's literally like you're, you're playing off the question that I want to ask is that uh, I coach a lot of people for free, by the way. I mean, like people just ask me questions and I generally, I'm just, I'm, I'm generally, I'll offer all, anybody ask me a question, I'm going to try my best to help somebody out. And to kind of play off what I said before, but I guess like here, are you thankful for those times in your life? Um, you know, I, I think the, uh, the human answer would be I'd prefer if some of them hadn't happened, but then I'd be void of the lesson. I'm greater today than I've ever been because of being brought to my knees. Mm. Wild to say, but I'm happier today than I've ever been. I'm more grateful today than I've ever been. I care more about people today than I've ever cared. And I cared about them from the start. Um, every bad thing that has happened to me, I, I have the gift of trying to see how that's part of a bigger plan. You know, what's God got in store for me this time? You know, how am I going <clears> to, <throat> how am I going to get through this moment in time? And what, what does the, the outside look like? And I'll tell you something else, whenever I'm feeling a little bit of angst or a little bit of anger, or if I'm feeling like, I don't know, sometimes I do what a lot of people do and I, I, I do negative comparisons like, you know, where I am and where somebody else is. And, and I'm trying to learn in this stage of my life to just play my best game, you know, and, and to set my own personal records. And, and there's always somebody that's got more. There's always somebody that's got less. There's always somebody happier. There's always somebody more miserable. I'm somewhere in between all that, and I'm grateful for that. But whenever, whenever, whenever there's moments where like uh, it feels heavy, and and like if I'm with my my wife after getting remarried, we just do this, and we just put up three, and that's code for what are three things right now you're grateful for. Uh, I don't even need her to be in my orbit to do that. My my morning routine has me go through the top three things that I'm most grateful for today. And gratitude is everything. It doesn't replace skill, but it certainly makes connection easier. So yeah, am I grateful for the hard times? Yeah, because they wouldn't give me the message now. I'll tell you a story real quick. I want to hear it. Keep it go, let's so, go. so I get called by Success Magazine and they want me to be part of an issue. The code inside of Success Magazine, nobody knows that this is what the issue is being called, but it's being called the big fat failure issue. I get a call that Darren Hardy would like to interview me on failure. Wow. And the interview has the context that you have to leave it all on the table. Mm -hmm. Darren only wants to do this interview if you're prepared to get real vulnerable and everything that goes along with that. Right. And I said, I said, I am. Mm -hmm. I've never been asked to like be featured on that topic especially when it's pre preceded by big fat failure issue. And I'm not, I'm not fat, but fat implies like this is going to be a colossal issue. 
Right. So here, here's how here's how the master plan always kind of works, right? We can't see tomorrow because we're immersed in today. And we are told that yesterday is history, tomorrow is a mystery, today is a gift. That's why they call it the present, right? So I'm thinking in this present moment, am I okay talking about my biggest failure? And the answer that came within about three days of being asked is this could be a real gift. And when Darren called me to see if I was going to check in and do this thing, he, he said, do you realize that there's millions of people that need to hear your story on failure? Mm. And I'm thinking, wow, okay. So my failure actually can be a really good thing for others. Cause I know it's good for me. I know it taught me a bunch of like, he goes, he goes, it could be gargantuan. So I agreed to do this, this interview and, and this interview is, is done. It is produced. It is sent out and within five years, 7 million downloads have happened on a 19 minute interview on failure. And wow. I, all of a sudden I'm thinking I got to, I got to be in the orbit of people that really wanted to hear about the power of failure because they're all entrepreneurs. They all own businesses. Every loan officer in America owns a business. You own a mortgage practice. You have a company that you work for that you know supports you and gives you the money to lend and all that kind of stuff. But if you see your business as a business that you own and you see your family as the benefactor of your business and your clients as the benefactor of your business, then why wouldn't you get after it and be okay with failure and not be afraid of failure? Why, why, why couldn't you just wake up one day and say, you know, I eat failure for breakfast. I get it out of the way early. But no, instead, we think about that. It could be something as simple as call reluctance. It could be something as simple as like you've been in the business five years and you're about ready to call on a realtor. It's got 20 years of experience as number two in her market. <clears throat> that could conjure up a whole bunch of fear, right? But fear can either paralyze you or it can prepare you. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, I used to drive by real estate offices as a loan officer because I was scared to death to go in and, and call on anybody. And I discovered one day I shouldn't call on everybody. I should call on a body, one person. And I said, if I could just call on one person and they were expecting to meet me and I could walk into a real estate office knowing that I had an appointment with somebody and nobody could reject me because the one person I wanted to meet with had already accepted me. Why don't I do that? And then call reluctance went away. And call reluctance is just based on fear. That's all it is. And fear is based in yesterday, which we're told to release, right? And, and so we, when, we, when we think about what has to happen today for you to move from, from fear to faith, you have to have confidence, you have to have confidence, and you have to have purpose. I got to get good at whatever. I got to get good at talking to borrowers, and then I got to get great. I got to get good at talking to realtors and then I got to get great. I got to get good at creating a beautiful borrower experience and get really great at integrating referrals. I got to make sure I get really good at following up with my partners because if I don't follow up with them, I'm not going to get any leads anyway. Right. I got to be really good at some of the fundamentals and the better you get at the fundamentals, the less fear you have. So then all of a sudden you have faith, right? So like if you had faith, that anybody in real estate would agree to meet with you, who would you call on? Well, you wouldn't call on the bottom. Yeah. You would call on the top. And there's the gap, Jimmy, right there. So we can't complain. We can't. It doesn't get us anywhere. We got to get prepared. And if we over-prepare and we understand failure. So, so listen, everybody write this down. 
the wrong way is the right way because it teaches you a better way. That's the key to my whole thing on failure. Hey, you're going to make mistakes. If you're trying, you're going to make mistakes. If you're not trying, that in and of itself is a mistake. But if you understand that the wrong way is a good way because it teaches you how not to do something again, then you would have an attitude towards, like, I don't, I don't wake up wanting to fail, but unlike most of my competition, I'm going to make failure my greatest teacher. Mm. That's what I'm going to do. So failure all of a sudden becomes, let's just get the failure out of the way. And then success opens up. Because if you're locked in fear, you're frozen, and you're going to fail more than you've ever dreamed if you don't take action. 100%. I think a lot of people are right now, Todd, they are frozen. I think it's good to be self-aware that, okay, I'm frozen. I'm not doing anything. I know I'm going nowhere with this. And I think that a lot of my audience really doesn't... I would say some people are like, look, I am frozen. I'm going to curl up and I, I can't even get out of bed in the morning. You know, there's some people like that. But I, I think that a lot of people are really just afraid of making that call to the number one realtor in the market. And I, I think that for me anyway, I've kind of shifted it. Like, like, like here, before we hit record, like, bro, the butterflies are flowing for me. And like, I love that feeling. It's it's a feeling of actual fear and anxiety and worry and whatever you can name it whatever you want, but to me it's like it's also excitement. Like I feel like we're so ready as as loan officers a lot of, just to assume that we're going to lose when in reality if we just fucking show up and make the call we're going to win a lot of the time and I feel like we should just be we should shift it to be more excited to win. I'm excited. We're winning. And it's not really a question, but like, I feel like, I feel like that's the mindset shift though. I feel like people have to be in that point in that, in that, in that position where they can take the fear of, I'm going to look like an idiot and turn it into, well, no, the, the, the wrong way is the right way. Cause it teaches us a better way. I mean, what a great, <laughs> what a great, what, what a great way to, to, to define it. I think that's what people need to do. So why aren't they? Well, I, 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 for a couple of reasons. Number one, um, they're not learning because they've already given up. And they may not have given up physically, but they've at least given up mentally. And if they've given up mentally, they've probably given up physically. Uh, Jerome Butler, who's a, uh, a performance psychologist, says you're more likely to act your way into feeling than you ever are to feel your way into acting. Meaning that taking action is the best way to get motivated instead of waiting to get motivated and then going and taking action. You want to get motivated in the next 24 hours? Make 10 calls to realtors that you know that you haven't talked to in months. Okay, figure out what's wrong with their business. Figure out how you can put on the white knight strategy. Come by, ask them how you can help them win in the next 30 days and see what comes out of that conversation. Just make the calls. You don't even, like, like I don't even have to practice. I go, hey, Jimmy, it's Todd. I screwed up, man. Uh, I've been kind of, you know, stuck in this industry for 90 days, and I should have been calling people like you that I know, love, and trust. So I'm calling you, brother, and um, I want to sit down with you and figure out how your business is doing, what I can do to help you in the business, how can I help you generate more buyers and sellers, let's get back together, when can you meet with me? If I did that starting the next 24 hours, and I did every day for the next 14 days, I'd have more appointments set up than I've had in the last six months for most loan officers. And then I would have to follow up every week, concept, right? And discuss business dev strategy. 
If you just yeah. did that, you'd get another buyer or two a month, which for most officers is $8,000 a month. That would solve almost everybody's financial problem. Todd, I don't originate anymore, but what you just said gave me chills. Yeah. It's so simple. <laughs> like, my God, just pick up the phone and be a little real and just be like, look, I messed up. I should have called you. But like, I'm calling you now. Let's sit down. Let's meet up and figure out what it is. And like, look, what if they say no? Who cares? They're already saying no because they don't even know, K-N-O-W, that you would like to connect with them. So they're saying to know in a, a, no in a de facto way because they don't even know that you remember them. So, so let me just tell you right now, 93% right. of loan officers that we've surveyed, we, we did a seven-month survey of just shy of 12,000 loan officers, which represents a confidence statistic of 96% based on the fact that there's 340,000 loan officers in America. 94% do not call their partners every week to generate mutually beneficial business development opportunities. 94%. 9.4 out of every 10 loan officers are stuck in fear. So you don't have any competition if you're at the point in the 6%, right? That, that is going to make the phone calls because nobody's, I mean, nobody's out there. And, and agents need help right now. An agent that did 20 deals two years ago is probably going to do eight this year or maybe 10. Okay, what can you do to come in and, and help generate business? And by the way, watch this. Um, I'm getting jacked up on this thing right now. The future's coming, you guys. There's going to be a season where the market changes. And if you wait till then to get ready, you're screwed. Oh my God. The time no. to get ready is right now. The time to plant seeds is right now. You know, it takes a Chinese bamboo tree five years after the seed is planted before the seedling breaks the earth. Five years, water, nurture, rain, water, nurture, rain. And in the first year of that little seedling popping through, it grows 90 feet. Your business is the same way. If you plant a whole bunch of seeds right now, maybe the follow-up cycles are longer. Maybe people aren't going to buy this weekend. Maybe there's not 22 offers coming in on a home. Maybe it's less. Maybe sellers are starting to adjust their sale expectations. Maybe it is becoming more of a buyer-seller's market. Maybe the rates are going to come down. They, all this, everything is going to change. So go with it. You know, nobody bitched 24 months ago when they were making a boatload of money going, this is so great because you were working hard, even though it was an easy market. But now I, we're complaining about not having money and we're working hard in a hard market. But I, I think I think what you just said is key is that it's the seed planters that are going to that are going to survive, that are going to not just survive, but thrive, take market share and really just own the future. I mean, truly, there's. 93% that doesn't even surprise me. It should surprise me, but it, it really doesn't. But like, imagine if you're one of the 7% of loan officers yeah. that are calling yeah. the people. And I, and I want to talk about this. So I want to get into morning routine because it's something you mentioned. It's a place I want to go, but I want to, I want to stay on this topic for just a second. There's a lot of coaching programs that will, um, that will say Todd, like, look, I got to call 40 realtors on a Monday. And like, look, there's a lot of other, th you could, you could argue that's good. There's a lot of good stuff that would come out of that. And truly, you, I think you'd be in that 7% if you were to call 40 realtors to try to set up 40 coffee appointments on, on a Monday. I know that you have a different approach to it and where you can do less than more. And maybe I'm stealing your thunder a little bit. But like, I want to talk specifically about that because I feel like people overcomplicate it by finding a new list. When I think that what they could do is they could focus on what they already got. How, 
how am I wrong? How am I right? Well, first of all, I, I will, I'll stay pure to our brand. My team as a loan officer, which consisted of 10 people, um, I was the only originator. Our team funded 5,962 transactions in 10 years. And if you do the math real quick and understand that we only had 13 realtors, um, we ran a massively profitable business. And we moved every single month from needing to prospect to needing to retain. Okay, there was a point in time where we didn't add new realtors for years. And I think the only three times that we added a new realtor were when one of our seasoned realtors was retiring. Wow. And what we understood is that if we give more value to less people, many will need us. If we try to give whatever value we give to everyone, few people are going to need us. Calling 40 realtors a week is a transactional strategy, which will never last. Okay. Having a relationship strategy will allow you to call less than 40, probably less than 20, and build a business from the ground up. Because every one of the people that you're working with, if you target the right way, get a referral into those agents, have a good high trust conversation with them, which, by the way, is like the other holy grail of building a sustainable business where you're earned revenue becomes less and less and your residual income becomes more and more, which is what every loan officer's dream is. I want to make money while I sleep. I want to create enough invested capital in people that they think of me all the time and I don't have to go prospect. If every once in a while I need a new realtor, I can ask one of my realtors, I can go, what agents do you know that are friends of yours that are having a crappy lender experience that I could contact using your name? Boom. I add one, but I add one that I'm referred to, not one that's on a list that I bought or a title company gives me. So we're relationship, right? We put relationship over transaction. And our vested interest is that if you have the right relationships, you'll get all the transactions you need. But if you focus on simply getting transactions, two things happen. You don't have the right call approach because you're focused on getting. And you don't have any differentiation because that's what everybody else does. So well, it's, I, more, it's more to few and many will need, need you rather than being less to many where few will need you. And just to capitalize on it, just like I, I, I know sometimes people don't believe this, but like if you're actually their friend, like, oh my gosh. like you're actually their friend, like you give a fuck. Like, like I'm friends with the number one realtor in Wisconsin. My house got destroyed in Hurricane Ian in Florida and she offered me her house in Naples. What do you know? She messaged me and like, she's actually being my friend. Jimmy, you've always been so good to me. Here's my house. I'm friends with the number one realtor in, in, in Waukesha County where I live in, in Wisconsin. And like, we're actually best friends. Like, like we talk on a regular basis. Who do you think they're going to send their loans to? I mean, who do you think? And, and I feel like people, we just get so caught up in, I want deals, I want deals, I want deals. How about you want to be somebody's friend and actually you want to help them go to their open house, shoot a video and promote it everywhere on, on social media, try to get them, you know, more business. And I feel like this is something where like, it's, it's really is, it's the difference between transactional and relational and man, so many people mess this up I, and I'm, it, it sickens me. It's like, would you just like be their friend? That's it. So here's the, here's the drill on this. This is so, this is ancient. This is ancient in terms of business philosophy, right? Um, 
Robert Cialdini wrote a book in 1994. Um, I remember that because I hired him to speak at Sales Mastery two years after I launched the event in 1992. Cialdini wrote a book called Influence. And in that book, what he said is that if you really truly understood the law of reciprocity, you would never have to worry about selling anything ever again. And when you explain the law of reciprocity, it is the motive to call and try to schedule appointments is not going to be based on what you get. It is going to be based on what you give. Okay, so if everybody listening to this, Jimmy, and, and if they want to get it done, every call you make, every buyer conversation you have, every agent, builder, financial planner, it doesn't matter if you don't know what people would like you to give them and you simply give them what you think they want and expect that to create reciprocity, you are dead wrong, dead wrong. And so the mindset of making a sales call is what I found 6,000 years ago. King Solomon wrote about this. He goes, the generous man will prosper. He who refreshes others will himself be refreshed. So here's why call reluctance exists, right? Call reluctance exists because you're taking. Call excitement exists because you're giving. Hey, Jimmy, it's Todd Duncan with ABC Financial. We're on at First American Title. Give me your name. He said you're one of the top realtors in the area. I have this new program called the Consumer Referral Program. It brings uh, agents like you that we've been referred to four to five buyers a month to talk to. Ron thought you'd like that. How's that sound initially, Jimmy? Great. Okay, so here's what I like to do. I want to come by your office, sit down, spend 30 minutes with you, find what you look for in a lender, how I can add value to your life, and introduce you to this program. When's a good time to meet? Now, I would slow that way down, obviously, because we're doing this. But if somebody hears you say, like, What? So every buy side is $12,000. He just said he might be able to refer three to four. That's like $48,000 a month. Hmm. I've never met with a loan officer that called me that way. And because I like Ron at First American Title, I'm going to meet with Todd. Now, what has to happen for you to have that program? you got to understand that the first buyer, Jimmy, that you refer to me, I'm going to put into this thing that we call the circle of cash flow. And we're going to mine, mine, mine for sellers and buyers from this one relationship so that every year we bring people back to you. Is your current lender doing that for you? It's all I mean, that's it right here. It's, it's, it's a high trust uh, 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 sales meeting. And yeah, I want to move on, but I just I want to say this. I interviewed Ryan Grant. And Ryan Grant, if you don't know, is a $100 million plus producer and has been for like since his third year in the business. But he said that he went up to you as a $100 million producer and he's like, I'm changing everything. Everything that I've been doing has been god awful for a super long time. Like I've stumbled at a hundred million. At a hundred million, I know. I mean, it just goes to show he's just such he's just such a naturally gifted, really cool, genuine dude. I mean, like he's just he really is just a genuine, awesome dude. But like, but like he even took it all and threw it all away, and it was based off of one sales mastery. We talk about a lot on, on when I interviewed him, where he just felt so naive and just so like green, even though because he went into it like thinking, well, what the fuck is Todd Duncan going to teach me? I'm doing 100 million. He literally says that, like, <laughs> like what, <laughs> you know? But it, but I think it's just true because and then and then he comes in, he completely rewrites the book, and then and now he's doing hundreds of millions. And oh, by the way, le- 
owns and runs a co mortgage coaching company. I mean, it doesn't get much greater than, 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 than that man's success. The Get It Done podcast is brought to you by Shape, the most powerful mortgage software with everything from texting, lead management, a dialer, LOS integrations, and over 5,000 other apps to help LOs take more deals from new lead to close loan. But look, I want to pivot. I want to go. I want to go to uh, your um, morning routine because you mentioned that that's the place that I want to go, bro. I think that people miss on this. I think a lot of people miss on this. I think that you're not going to show up in this call example that you just gave, bro, brother. You have energy even now, and it's just it's it's just a like we're just role playing, and, and and I mean you have energy, you have passion in it. Got to imagine that people, if, they, if they're not going to be right in their mindset and not right in their daily disciplines, they're not going to show up to that phone call in the right way. What do you do personally, Todd? And what do you recommend and coach people to do for, uh, for their morning routine? So I think the first thing is you, you have to believe that the way you start the day has a lot to do with how the day goes. Okay. And so if you, ha if you don't have that belief, then you may not even be open to this idea of what is your morning routine. I've studied enough Olympians. I've worked with enough super successful um, tech startup CEOs and mortgage company owners. And, and I can tell you right now that, that everybody that is ringing the bell has a morning rhythm, a morning routine. One of our, our clients, her name is Heather. Um, she funds about 500 units a year. She's a mother of five. She wakes up every morning at four o'clock. Now, can you imagine being a mother of five and waking up every morning at four o'clock? She starts her morning routine at about 4.10 with a cup of coffee, the Bible, a little bit of stretching, and setting, this, setting the day for her, her, her desired end results. And um, that whole thing takes about 45 minutes. And then by the time 5 o'clock rolls around, she's working out, and she'll do her one-hour workout. And by the time 6 o'clock rolls around, the kiddos start to get up. And, um, and so she said, why don't I reverse the trend? Why don't I be so purposeful in the morning that I can actually only work two days a week and then take five days to be a mom and to just let my team do the rest, right? And so she has this kind of rhythm where she goes into every single day and she preps herself for the day. And it includes about two hours worth of stuff that she does, right? So she's got her prayer time. She's got her meditation time. For her, she's got her Bible time. She's got her workout time. She has her caffeine time. She has her stretching time. She does all that, right? My morning rhythm is, it starts every day about 4.45 and I wake up naturally. I don't wake up to an alarm. I don't wake up to, you know, some buzzing on my bed or anything like that. And uh, by five o'clock, I'm on my couch. I've got my doors open to the outside. It's, it's warm, which in SoCal right now it is. I've got my doors open. I feel the breeze coming in and um, I have a cup of coffee. I go through my um, mantra for the day. And my mantra for the day is very simple. It is Todd. You were built for greatness. You got this. God's got you. Who's next today? That's it. You were built for greatness. You got this. God's got you. Who is next today? And that is the start of everything. I'm reading a book right now called From Strength to Strength. I do, I do two um, uh, kind of spiritual exercises in, in that time frame. Um, I go through a seven minute mindset, uh, YouTube video and they rotate every single day and by quarter six or so, I'm either on my bike 
and I'm riding 50 miles or I'm at the gym and I'm working out for 90 minutes. I don't come to the office if I come to the office until, I don't know, nine o'clock, you know, every day. And so, so mine is, mine is early, but I do a lot in the morning and I show up fresh. I show up with everything that you could possibly need personally done. And even then I have some, some interesting mornings, but I'm optimistic. And the first thing I do is I try to answer who's next. So this morning in, in that ritual, I'll just, uh, I'll just read this real quick. Um, who's next pops up. So how do I figure out who's next? I check social, I check direct uh, messaging, and I check, I check my uh, text messages. Here's the text I got this morning. Okay. Hey, just wanted to let you know, everything is great. The wife and the girls are kicking butt. We just got back from a one week long vacation. Business is great. Pipeline is strong. I'm hiring, building and scaling. I hired a business development person and she's starting next week. It's a great story. I'll tell you when we talk. I hired a green LO to prepare for the refinance marketing that we're going to be doing next year and in 2025. I promoted my junior LO to be self-sourcing. His second month is this month, and he's going to fund $1.5 million. The concierge program is in full effect. We are rocking. And to make things even better, I got an allocation for a 911 GT4 Targa. I got to build it, and it should be here in October. No complaints, Tim. And that's, he's funding $9 million in the month of July. Hmm. So what's the difference between and somebody who's not? And it's this right here. It is the mind must be prepared for greatness. And, and however you want to do that, it's got to be ritualistic in the sense that you're doing the same thing every day. Now, what, what happens to me when I get to read one text like that? And by the way, I get, I don't know, 30 or 40 a day. So I'm really blessed. But what happens if the first one is that one and I get to read that and my purpose for the day is already what? answered who's next yeah now what does that do does that inspire me for the day or does it make me fearful for the day brian grant was a train wreck at 100 million a train wreck he was probably he admits getting it. one loan he admits it too by the way he was probably getting one loan from 100 realtors yes that's, that's how and we got him we got him all the way down to like like he, he actually thought I'm not going to pay for your Zillow leads. In fact, I may not even do business with you. We got to sit down and we got to reconnect in a way that is working for me. And if it doesn't work for you, that's okay, but it won't work for me. God, and all of a sudden he start pair, 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 pair. Like, would you rather have a hundred give you one or 10 give you 10? <laughs> and that, that brings me excitement because now he's ministering to others. He's giving others the advice and the seeds that got planted in him, which is where my strength comes from right now, Jimmy. I mean, that's why I wake up. I don't have to do this. I want to do it. Somebody asked me the other day, when are you going to retire? And I go, never. And they go, why? And they go, and I go, why would I miss out on this? Now I can go anywhere I want anytime I want. I can do anything I want anytime I want. Why would I stop doing this? Why would I stop? You know, it's funny. I've interviewed a lot of people that are at the top of their of of their height of their career. I mean, you're you're absolutely there, and they say a similar thing. It's just like, why would I retire? I don't even work. I I mean, this isn't this isn't work to me. I mean, that's people ask me how I do content creation so much. I freaking love this. Like, I mean, I'm having a conversation with Todd Duncan right now, and I'm taking like like bro, like 
I get more out of these conversations than I think anybody else does. I'm my show's biggest fan. So, so if you're a fan <laughs> of the show, I, I listened, like, I can't wait to listen to this again and kind of just review my notes. So, okay. I want to talk a little bit about your son. So I talked to you at, um, I think it was momentum builder that, um, your son got into an accident and you're talking to me about it in a way that was actually kind of inspiring, but, um, he's an artist and you helped him to, you know, sell his, sell a couple of artist pieces, but then he got into an accident. Talk about that for a minute. And well, actually I haven't talked to you in a while. Like, I guess where, where's it all at? You know, I, I, I guess the, the place that I would start is the, the nightmare of, of, of hearing um, from somebody you don't know that when you pick up the phone, the conversation starts with, is this Todd Duncan? Yes, it is. Are you next to kin for Matthew Duncan? And right then and there, you know, something's wrong. Something's wrong. And I asked her, is my son alive? And she said, I can't tell you that. So some HIPAA law pre prevents them after they verify that you're next to kin from actually telling you the doctor's the only person that can actually tell you whether your child is alive or not. Oh, my God. And yeah, and I'm in Colorado, and Matt's accident was on the uh, Interstate 5 uh, in California in Los Angeles. And um, he was on his, his Harley-Davidson chopper, and he was with a bunch of friends. And um, nobody knows exactly what happened, but he veered off the freeway and hit one of the freeway 24-inch metal poles head-on. I got, got ejected from his motorcycle, hit the pole head-on and uh was laying on the ground the witnesses said he was just he was not moving and um you know the long and short of the story is um i finally got a call from the brain surgeon two hours later and the rest of that night i was on the phone with doctors and uh he was given less than two hours to live and i got on the first uh, flight i could coming out of uh coming out of denver and i got to usc trauma center at around uh, 11 o'clock uh, that following morning. So his accident was seven o'clock the night before. And um, I didn't even know when I got to the hospital, if he was alive or dead. And then we had somebody come out that said, your son is in recovery and uh, he's in a coma and blah, 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 blah. And I remember I got to see him that afternoon. All I did was be able to see him. And the, the, the vivid imagery of, you know, 620 staples in his head and his neck and his vertebrae and putting it back together. Uh, he was alive, but he, he, he was still in the most critical condition you could be in. And right then and there, it's like, um, what purpose does this serve? Uh, why did it happen? Um, and there's a whole bunch that, you know, any parent that can identify with this can start to go through. And I think a lot of, a lot of the trauma that my boys have is from their mother dying. And I think that a lot of how they've reacted to that trauma has been unhealthy with drugs and alcohol. And, um, and I can tell you that, um, that 41 days later, when Matt came out of a coma, the first thing that he said to me is he said, dad, I'm sorry, I scared you. Mm. And it was so much more severe than scaring me, but those were his first words. Today, he is seven and a half months past the accident um, he managed to learn how to walk again, how to talk again. Um, he learned how to uh, re, 
invigorate his arm. The doctors were going to amputate his left arm because uh, both both arteries had been severed and the bone had been crushed in 22 places. And they asked me for permission to amputate. And I said, you can't amputate his arm. I said, I don't know what you're going to do to fix it, but you cannot amputate it. He's a guitarist and he's, a, he's an artist. And if he doesn't have his left hand, left hand, he will take his life. He will die. And somehow they figured out a pulmonary graphing procedure where they could take veins out of the legs and, and rebuild the, the, you know, the veins. And they put a titanium sleeve around his humerus. And, and two months ago, he started playing guitar again. Um, I did a video today. He's at his aunt's house in, in, in uh, Georgia. First time that he's actually left the West Coast. He got on a plane and flew. And um, I have a video of him this morning getting up behind a boat wake surfing. Oh and seven and a half months after his injury and he, he, he's always been a surfer but it's the last thing i could have possibly told you i would see today that my son is surfing behind a boat oh my god, oh my god without the this is wake surfing no rope yeah you just got yeah wow that's incredible so you look at that and you go okay so but here's 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 the biggest part of the story yeah um he wants to write a book on helping other people afflicted with the same challenges he has with addiction. And he wants to help as many people between the age of 15 and 25 as he can change their direction in life. He's sober. He goes to church, two AA meetings a week. He's living purposefully, intentionally. He's still scared. You know, he's still depressed from time to time. He wishes it hadn't happened. He's deaf in his left ear as a musician. That's not good. Half his face is pa paralyzed. He doesn't like that. Um, but he's walking and he's talking and he's Wait grateful. And he understands that God's not done with him yet. For some reason, he's still here. And it's a, it's a miracle. Bro, it's an absolute got, miracle. That, uh, uh, so inspiring just to like comment on it directly but like it, 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 i have to ask has he ever gone to cr celebrate recovery is that ever a thing that he does he is um totally in recovery right now 100 and he's going uh he's going to cr he does stuff through saddleback church uh, he goes to a monday night meeting he goes to a thursday night meeting he is sober um from all drugs he was heavily addicted to marijuana and alcohol and uh, cocaine Wow. And he's sober. That is. And, tell, and telling people that sobriety is better than not. Yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, it, <laughs> I mean, certainly. And it's, I mean, man, what an inspiration. And I mean, it's kind of, I don't know, being the son of someone that has changed so many men and women's lives for him to have to go through what he went through to be able to write the book. I mean, what an inspiration. That's don't we so, all have to do? Don't we all have to do that? Don't we all have to go through what we go through to write our story? We do. We all have to go. Our story. Our story is always developing, Jimmy. And the hardship is where the inspiration comes from. And um, nobody wishes anything like this. Nobody wished that my wife would die from cancer. Nobody wished that my son would be two hours away from dying. Nobody wished my other son. Um, could have avoided a DUI and kidnapping and and grand theft, grand theft auto. Nobody, I mean, I could wish all day long that that stuff didn't happen to, to them. But 
it is who's making them great today. Those stories are making them great today. They're making me a better father today. Every sto- everything that we have in our life is part of our story, good or bad. And when Matt decided, Matt told me the other day, he says, Dad, I want to write a book. And I said, okay, it starts with the first page. There's the first page. Oof. He hand wrote it on the airplane four days ago. I don't know what the book's going to look like, but I can tell you right now, I read the first page. I want to read page two. Man, as a, here, as a father myself, wow. I mean, like, I don't even know how to comment. It's just like, <laughs> do you want to amputate your son's arm? I mean, okay, well, you've, you've at least prepped me, Todd, for to say no, absolutely yeah. not. If I'm ever in that situation, I pray to God I'm never in that situation. But like, but like, wow, I can't even imagine that feeling. I, I just, I, 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 I can't even imagine it. But, I, but to here to relate this really quick to the person that's struggling in 2023. We have to go through it so we can inspire others. We have to go through it so that we can write our book. We have to go through it so that we can do what we're going to do. How did you do it? How did you get through it? Uh, what, what's the secret sauce? What's the secret? So I was asked a question when I was um, 27 years old. And the question was, um, why are you a loan officer? And I was asked it by a guy named Dennis Whaley. Dennis Whaley, um, probably in his late 80s now, but uh, a really gifted author. And I was at a seminar and he said, he said, why are you a loan officer? And I said to him, I said, I want to make a lot of money. And he goes, but, but what's beyond the money? And I go, what do you mean? He goes, why do you want to make a lot of money? Because I, I want to feel safe and secure. And he goes, well, what's beyond faith? What's safe and secure? And I go, um, I don't know that there's anything beyond that. And he said, so how do you make the money? And I said, I got to help people. And he said, so what's most important to you, helping people or making money? And I said, helping people. And he looked me in the eyes. He said, if you help people, the money will come. And I'm four years into my career and I've done a lot of volume, but then I switched my whole focus. And I remember borrowers crying when I handed them the keys. And I remember whenever I was uh, in the dumps, I would get in my car and drive by four or five houses that my team and I had financed. I'd always do it from three o'clock to five o'clock because I thought I'd be able to see the kids in the backyard or in the front yard playing. Um, Whenever um, uh, somebody that I was able to help get a home cried, um, I, I took snapshots in my mind of those moments and I have thousands of snapshots of people crying because my team and I got to make something happen for them that they otherwise may not have had happen. Um, I had a loan officer that was working with a first time home buyer just a couple months ago. And, and I said, ask new questions, you know, just ask one question that's really powerful instead of just talking about rates and programs and stuff like that. And, and as he told, told me the story afterwards, the question he asked a husband and wife, first time home buyer was what would it mean to you to own a home? And he said, you could tell immediately that I'd struck a chord. And so I didn't say a word. And pretty soon the wife was crying. And then the husband started crying. And the husband mustered the words, if we could own a home, we'd be the first family in the history of our family to own real estate. To which the loan officer said, I'm going to make that happen for you. Are you ready to get started? The reason that I'm successful is because I've chosen to make an impact. And success follows. The reason a loan officer will be successful is because they've chosen to make impact and the success will follow. 
if you do not leave an indelible imprint in the mind of your buyers, the minds of your sellers, if you don't leave an indelible imprint as a leader in the lives of your loan officers, if they don't wake up every day knowing that you made their dreams come true, they did the work, but you cast the vision and helped them get clear that they were worth it and that they were worthy of what they wanted to achieve in their life, you don't have anything. You'll lose people assigning bonuses. You'll have to write checks to hire people. But if you connect with people at the heart, you really, really define that purpose. I wake up every day because I know there's another soul right now. There's another marriage that can be saved. There's somebody else who can be talked off the cliff of suicide. If we can just get them in their right mind. At Mastery last year, we had one guy that flew in from Australia and five years ago was ready to kill himself. And I didn't know who this person was. He walked up to Deb and me at a seminar in Melbourne, Australia. There was probably 2,000 people in the room. I could have easily missed this guy. He started crying and he said, I read your story and I need your help. And we peeled away in a foreign country with a guy we had never met. And we talked for an hour with this guy. And for whatever reason, that moment in time got his heart set the right way. And he quit drinking. He quit drugging. Um, he started building a world-class mortgage team. He lost 60 pounds. He was fat and out of shape and he got in the best shape of his life. And last year, he spoke on the mastery stage, Jimmy. And from the time that I introduced him to the following morning, we had 61 people, loan officers, who came up to us and said, I was ready to take my life before I came to mastery. I was standing on the 25th floor in the Marriott ready to jump, and I couldn't do it. And I went home and read an email about sales mastery. And now, after this, so we're six months past sales mastery, Carrie in Australia has 217 people that have told him that because of his story, they decided to live life instead of take their life. That's what impact's about. That is what impact's about. And it's never going to be that bad that you have to check out. Mm. Okay. There's always tomorrow. There's always another day. There's, if you're breathing, you're not done. Okay. And there's no value in taking your life because you're a, you're a miracle. Number one, you're somebody else's hero. Number two, you just don't know it yet. And if you believe in impact, it's a reason to get up every day. So give yourself permission to succeed. Give yourself permission to be okay with dents and wounds and scratches and, you know, who we all are as human beings. We're, we're never going to be perfect. And, and being perfect, trying to be perfect is harmful. But progress is beautiful. Mm. And if there's one message to share with everybody, just make tomorrow a little bit better than today. And if you do that, pretty soon you're going to be great. Brother, I was going to ask you your why, but you, this is it. I mean, what a, what a, what a powerful answer. Um, all right. There's, um, bro, I, there's a couple questions that I ask everybody. The first one is this. <clears throat> wow. I'm still thinking about your why, dude. I'm getting like chills thinking about it, dude. That's just so powerful. 61 people emailed you. I have to like, dude, how, <sighs> I had people in line, waiting in line at Mastery to come up and get a picture with me because, quote, I saved their life. I didn't save their life. They got put in my orbit because some, some bigger forces at work in their life, and they got permission to change their code. Yes. And, and see, and, and I know you believe this because you just said this, is that to the listener thinking that they're, you know, they're, they're, they're down and out, you are someone else's inspiration. 
someone else is looking to you and you could be that person. And it doesn't have to take a lot. You don't have to be perfect. You can go be going through your own stuff. But the way you go through it could inspire somebody to maybe not take their life. You know, I'm, and I, it doesn't get bigger than that. I, I just I feel like that's like that's like the ultimate purpose and fulfillment. Oh. It doesn't get any better. Making your life work um, and working in the most important parts is the most important thing you'll ever do. Because if you ignore what's truly important, everything else collapses. And um, your life matters. I mean, you're here. <laughs> it matters. There's nobody like you. I mean, one sperm and one egg, and it's a freaking miracle. And you're unique and different. And you won the race. There's 150 million other sperm that could have been 150 million other people and that one egg. But it's you. It's you. You had no call reluctance when you were swimming to the egg. <laughs> you, so get after it. You you matter. Okay, I I want to get these questions out. We're we're, right. we're just so deep right there. But like, dude, and you're you're even on my why. You matter. People matter. Your story matters. Write your story. Okay. Do you feel like you've ever had a big break? Yes. And I think my biggest break was um, when I reached out to somebody who didn't know me from Adam and asked them if they could invest some time in my first manuscript. And if, it, if they felt it was worthy, would they write the foreword for the book? And that was a big break because when Zig Ziglar called me on the telephone and said, I love your book, there's four things that I think you would want to change. And if you agree to those changes, I will endorse your book and write the foreword for it. I mean, I didn't know him from Adam, but he was one of the great motivators of all time. And that was a break that I got. And he endorsed that book and wrote the foreword. And Zig and I were friends until the last day he breathed. And that was a big break because now I've written 18 books and impacted and over 10 million people. And um, that was a big break. That was a big break. I'll tell you another big, yeah. See, I could just give you a whole bunch of big breaks. Well, go, go ahead with the next one. Zig Ziglar, I would say that that's up there. That's, that's well, up there. The, another big break, and this is weird to say, but the, the other big break is when I told John Maxwell, who's one of the greatest leadership trainers in the world, that his vision for evangelism was too small. And who am I to tell a guy that wants to change the world for pastors and churches that his vision is too small? And wow. um, we connected the next morning and said, uh, he said, you're right. My vision is too small. I've decided that I want to impact 20 million pastors by the time I'm 75 instead of uh, 8 million pastors. And so now that number is over 50 million worldwide. He's now known in countries. And the breakthrough there was that I got to buy his company. The breakdown was I didn't manage that company the right way. The other breakthrough is I was angry with John. John had nothing to do with the business failing. I owed him $31,000 contractually. And I was so angry, I didn't pay it for 10 years. He never asked for it. I didn't pay it and we didn't talk. And my big break came when I took a look at the Todd Duncan brand and I decided to rename the company, the High Trust Company. And I asked myself, who in the world would laugh if I rename my company High Trust? And one of the persons that came up was John Maxwell. Well, how could you call your company High Trust when you still owe me $31,000? And so I had my assistant write him a check for $31,000. And I sent him a six-page 
apology letter asking for his forgiveness. And um, I had it overnight and on his birthday. And it was a birthday present to him. I wasn't looking for anything except to say, please forgive me, brother. And, um, and our relationship has been stronger today because of that breakthrough, breakdown, own up, take responsibility, accept the fact that John had nothing to do with it and do the right thing. And that break is a big break for everybody here. Do the right thing. Do the right thing. Do the right thing. I got a lot more, but we don't have time probably. <laughs> no, those are two excellent ones. All right. If you were to do it all over again, Todd, what would you change? Nothing. I'd go all the way back to being age 12 and having my mother tell me I was a failure. I wouldn't change that. She made me a failure my whole life. I wouldn't change that. Um, and the reason I wouldn't change it is because my mom's my mom and she loves me and she did the best she could, but she gave me the gift of failure. And I made a decision early, early on that I would prove her wrong. And I wouldn't change any of that because I don't know that I'd be who I am today. I wouldn't choose any of I wouldn't choose to avoid any of the failures I've had. I mean, literally none of them because they've all made me a better person today. Um, I wouldn't want to do over anywhere because everything that I've done wrong has taught me how to do things right. And um, yeah, I don't want to, I don't want to do over anywhere. I like exactly who I am, where I am right now for the reasons I'm here. Gosh, that's fire. I love that. Was there ever a time, Todd, you felt like giving up? Yeah, like thousands. But then what? <laughs> I was like, okay, so um, interest rates are really, really high. I feel like giving up. But then what? Okay, business is really hard right now. But then what? You know, your wife is going to die, but she needs you. And then what? And I'll give you an example of this. When my wife was seven days away from dying, she knew she was going to slip into a coma. And she gathered the two boys and me on the bed and she poured into each boy and told them how proud she was of them. And with me on the bed, she looked at both of them and said, I just want you guys to know that there's going to be a point in time where your, um, where your dad might date again. And there's a point in time where he might even get married again. And I want you guys to know that I want that for him. Mm. And six days later, she was gone. What a gift. Wow. What I want to do over on that. I don't know. I think the world's been changed because of that gift she gave the boys. Her foundation has saved tens of thousands of women's lives because of early detection and breast cancer. Um, wow. Yeah. So it's just like, there's always a point in which the human spirit wants to give up, but then what? <sighs> mm. Mm. But then what, what, what great words. Yeah. All right. So final question here. There's a young Todd Duncan out there. Maybe their mother is telling them that they're a failure when they're 12 years old. Maybe they're going through their 10 year slump. Maybe they could have retired, but instead made a bad business choice and lost it all. Maybe they've been betrayed. Maybe they've been truly a victim to some incredible circumstance, but they want to follow in your shoes. What advice would you give 
to someone looking to get it done? Such a powerful anchor um, to get it done. I would say a couple of things. Who believes in you? Who believes in you, even though your mom might tell you you're a failure, your dad might tell you you're a failure? Um, who believes in you that can blow wind under your wings to take you where that person sees you being? For me, it was my dad. And after three semesters as a pre-med uh, college student, uh, my dad had what I'm referring to as the driveway destiny conversation. I got home from my third semester in college. I was studying medicine. My dad was a doctor and my GPA was horrible. My dad looked me in the eyes in the driveway and said, um, you know, you don't have to be a doctor. And I said, well, dad, you're a doctor. And I thought, you know, son number one, I should be a doctor. And he goes, I, I love you for that, but you're probably not going to be a very good doctor anyway. And with that, he said, what you're really good at is you're good with people. You're good in selling. You're good with business. He said, you should go to business school. That conversation took four or five minutes and I went to business school and I graduated almost with a 4.0. And, um, and my dad told me to follow my dreams and he introduced me to a guy that owned a real estate company, introduced me to a guy that ran the mortgage company, introduced me to the manager that hired me. And when my dad was getting sick four years ago, um, and I, I held his hand and I said, dad, I don't know that you know this, but because of that driveway conversation, there's at least 6 million people in the world whose lives are better because of the guidance that you gave me. And honestly, dad, if you hadn't given me that, that guidance, I'd probably be a doctor and really be bad at it. And he squeezed my hand and 13 days later he passed away. And it was like, I wanted my dad to know that his belief in me gave me everything I needed, every ounce of wind I needed to fly. And when I was down, I thought of my dad. My dad and I talked every Sunday night for 42 years. He asked me how many weeks went. He asked me what was, gonna, what was exciting about the week to come. My dad ended every phone call with, I believe in you. Mm. And we need people that believe in us so that we can go to the destiny that we have the the ability and the, and, the, and the aptitude to get to. We just need to know somebody believes. And once you do whatever it is that you don't think you can do and you start to believe in yourself, it's like, what's next? Because when you believe, things really light up. When somebody else believes in you, that's good. Mm-hmm. But when you believe in you, the sky's not even the limit. So, wow. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. Todd, I hugs. I mean, I I love you, bro. I, I mean, you. I'm glad this is episode 100 because congratulations. I I don't think that um it would have done it justice to be any other episode. I think Todd, this was just an absolutely excellent uh, talk. Mm-hmm. I think anybody that listens to this is leaving a better person. And so. and, and look, I want to thank our audience for joining us today. And 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 Todd, I really do. I from the bottom of my heart, thank you for this. This has been awesome. And if somebody wanted to. I'll reach out to you, Todd, to connect. What would be the best way for them to do so? Direct message me on Instagram at Todd Duncan Official. That's one way to to me directly. And the other is just to hang out at toddduncan.com. We have some really beautiful free resources and tools for mortgage people to take advantage of today. And uh, no strings attached. We just want to give back and 
our paths cross and you want to do something deeper like coaching or some of our events, we're happy to help you with that. But right now, um, get centered on the few things that you can start doing immediately that are going to give you the feeling of victory, that give you the feeling that, you, that you're okay and you're going to make it through this and you're going to grow as a result of this. And whatever we need to help you, whatever I can personally do to help you, um, just know that, that that's why I wake up every day. Who's what, next? When's your next event? It's um, uh, November 28th through December 1st at Red Rocks Casino in Lyon, Summerlin, Nevada, and it is the Hytro Sales Academy. Uh, we have a $1,500 discount going on right now. And because, Jimmy, the market's so tight, we um, are giving loan officers a three installment payment plan with no interest or charges or anything. Just if cash is tight, we still want you to be there. Uh, it'll sell out. It sells out every year at 250 people. So come and check it out online. Yeah, I know so many people that have commented that it changed their life. Too many $100 million producers to... Um, Ryan Grant. Well, Ryan Grant's one of them for sure. I mean, gosh, the whole Neo crowd. But um, yeah. all right. Uh, again, I want to thank you, Todd, for joining us. Thank you to our audience. And like, look, if you've liked what you've heard today and you want to support the show, hey, send this to a friend. Tell them about it. Uh, write us a five-star review or just be honest, write me some sort of a review. Hit that subscribe button. All those things make a huge difference in helping us reach more people. Once again, I am Jimmy Ryan. This has been the Get It Done Podcast. Thanks so much for listening.